Good morning. <laughs> okay, we're going to try that again. Stand up, and as you stand up, say, good morning. It is great to see you all. We love worshiping with you, and we're going to begin this morning, as we always do, praising God and lifting his name on high.
the truth and the life straight from scripture. Would you turn to your friend this morning? And if they're not your friend, make them your friend. Introduce yourself. We are glad to have you here with us today. Welcome. Worship time. 
and uh, laying before God, allowing him to know that we are here for him and that he is mighty to save.
Amen. Thank you. Well, it's so good to see you today in the Lord's house. This is summertime. People are traveling, but we're so thankful to the Lord that you're here today. Please reach in the book rack right there around you somewhere and see if you can find one of those little black friendship folders that we talk about every week. There's one somewhere along the aisle there. And if you'll be so kind to put your name on that and give it to somebody sitting next to you so that they can do the same, we'll appreciate that. Uh, just several announcements today uh, inside your, your courier. Uh, we have one of our prayer lists, and I want to encourage you to keep praying the list, so to speak, because even though we're just on the downside of summer, we have a lot of ministry yet to transpire during the month of August, so let's pray for each other. We're praying for our people who are away on vacation right now, that God will use that time uh, profitably so that they can spread the word and be an ambassador for Christ on their vacation. That's important. Also, inside your courier, you'll find uh, some thank yous all the way from the Philippines. Uh, for the last few years, we've been trying to raise some funds uh, to build a, a dormitory at an orphanage in the Philippines. And they have it completed now. Uh, there's a couple pictures in your courier, but out in the foyer, there's a, there's a display, and there are more pictures. And there's some nice handwritten notes from some of the kids in the orphanage. Um, I think, you know, over there you can build things a lot cheaper. I think the whole project cost about $20,000. They're so excited to have this building. Uh, it's not big on our standards, but it's, it's a palace to them. And uh, they're, they're just thanking you from the bottom of their heart that, uh, that you're reaching out to them to do this. So um, thank you. I, I want to thank you for doing that also. One other thing. Last week we announced to you that we finished our, our financial year here at the church. It runs from July to July rather than, uh, you know, January like most organizations do. Uh, but the good news is that we went over our financial goals for the year. The Lord's given us a great year. And uh, our total receipts, I think, were somewhere around a million sixty-five thousand dollars for the year. And uh, a lot of that, I think about $220,000 of it, was for missions and benevolent purposes. Uh, that includes our missionary trip to, uh, you know, Ecuador things of that nature. So I want to thank you for being so generous here in the church. Uh, and of course, we thank God for enabling us to have a means of income, don't we? Uh, to make it all possible. So thanks again. Let's stand together at this time in the service. Our ushers will come forward and we'll receive our morning offering together at this time. I know we have uh, a visitor here from Ecuador where is our, uh, one of our translators is here visiting us. Uh, is he? I don't see him. But uh, anyway, I saw him in the foyer. <laughs> He's here from Ecuador. So if you see him, uh, they did a great job for us down there translating uh, our messages and things for the people. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for uh, your blessing on our life, for giving us a means of income, a way to uh, support our family. And now, Lord, we come to support your church right here on top of the hill uh, to uh, strengthen the ministry, 
not only here, but uh, through our missionaries around the world. We pray now that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. It's always great to have visitors in the summer. Uh, John and Charlotte Fletcher are here this morning, and you probably saw them around the church from St. Augustine, Florida. And uh, in our first service, uh, sitting right down here in the front was a young woman that I had never met before, and I introduced myself to her, and she's, I said, where do you live? 
And she said, I live out by the airport. And I said, well, that's an hour away. She says, yeah. She says, I listen to the church radio program. And I thought I'd just come and check the church out. And, uh, and she did. And I heard her out on, the, out on the front porch of the church asking someone, how do I get out of here? You know, I mean, and I, I turned her over to Bob Price. I said, Bob, you have to help her. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's nice to enjoy uh, people that are traveling and people who are coming for the first and second and third time. Uh, let's, uh, let's look together this morning the book of Ruth, chapter 3. Verse number 1 says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you? that it may be well with you. If you like to underline things in your Bible, underline the word security because that's a synonym right there for marriage. Uh, Naomi was trying to find a husband for Ruth. And uh, the translators translated the word there, security, because in their society, uh, that was usually the only security that they had when they were married. And in verse number 2, it says, Now Boaz, whose young woman you were with, is he not our relative? She was trying to find security in a marriage for Ruth within the larger circle, the extended family, not their, among their relatives, and you'll see this in a minute. And he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now here she gives her some advice uh, that's good advice under any circumstances, verse 3. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. And you shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. Now, Ruth at this particular time is walking by faith. Uh, this is a scary proposition. Go, in, go up by the threshing floor at night, find this man who's sleeping, lay down at his feet, and let's hope for the best, okay? So she went down to the fleshing, threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was cheerful. Why was his heart cheerful? Well, the reason why, a commentators say, is because he had had a good harvest. Remember, the, the real issue in chapter 1 of Ruth was the fact that, that uh, there was a famine in the land, and the, the harvest was bad, and so that's why the family had to move from Israel down to Moab. But now things are changed. God turned on the rain in Israel... There was a good harvest. You know, when you work hard and you get a reward, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? I know many men and women in our church, they go out, they work hard, they work long. Every day they come home. And if you get some refund from that, some, some, uh, some reward for that, you lay down at night and you say, oh, listen, it just feels good. And that's what's happening right here in verse number 7. Boaz had eaten, he, he drank, and his heart was cheerful because of a full harvest. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly, uncovering his feet and laying down. Now, that could scare anybody in the middle of the night, couldn't it? 
Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. Now this is strange to us, but it was a custom of the day. And he said, Who are you? So she answered, I'm Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing. This again was one of the customary statements that they made when somebody wanted to uh, be under the protection of another person they would use this term under your wing Uh, for you are a close relative then he said blessed are you of the Lord my daughter now Boaz was a generation older than Ruth and so uh, one generation referring to the other generation refers to them in that tone my daughter For you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after younger men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you have requested. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. This was her testimony within the town. Word was out. Ruth is a person of virtue. Now, it is true that I'm a close relative, however... There is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty. And what he's talking about is marriage right here. There's a person in our family that is closer in relation than I am. It's kind of like a pecking order. And he said the the first opportunity goes to that relation, but if that relation does not take advantage, then I will step up to the bat and I will be your husband. And uh, so she lay at his feet, verse 14, until morning. And she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring me the shawl that is on you and hold it out. And when she held it, he measured six efforts of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. He said, listen, you've come to me tonight and you've proposed marriage really to me. And so I'm going to go about finding out how I can do this. Because I know that you're the kind of person that I'm looking for in my life. You're a virtuous person. And uh, the feeling was mutual. And, she, and so he then gave her a boatload of provisions to take back to Naomi. And uh, so Naomi, Naomi, she goes home, uh, Ruth goes home to Naomi and begins to tell her all that transpired. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, remember we started in chapter 1 and we've been doing a chapter each session. And if you, again, like to write things in your Bible, I want to invite you. I just want to do a snippet of chapter 1 and chapter 2, and then we'll get further into chapter 3 today. But in chapter 1, if you like to write it above that chapter, write this, Ruth renouncing. Uh, chapter 1 is about the salvation of Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess, living, of course, in Moab, worshiping a false god whose name was Chemosh. And uh, she made this tremendous decision to change gods and to change locations. And she also made this tremendous statement that we read at weddings so many times. You've heard it before. It goes like this. It's in chapter 1, verse 16, 
Wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And so she makes her confession of faith in chapter 1. She said, listen, Naomi, I want to embrace your God. I'm tired of Chemosh. I'm tired of living in this God-forsaken place of Moab. I want to go to the land, the land of Israel with you. And so she renounced her past and her false worship. And she believed in the true God, Jehovah, by faith. And always remember this. Salvation in every age is by faith and not by works. She, all she did was believe and embrace Naomi's God. And when she did that, she was on her way to a brand new life. When they got back up to Israel, these two women whose husbands had died, Naomi and Ruth, Ruth begins to take care of Naomi by going to work. Uh, I've often said that 90% of success is showing up. You know, if you show up, you work hard, you can succeed. And, uh, and so that's exactly what Ruth did. Uh, she showed up. She went out to work. She said, Naomi, you stay at home. This is in chapter 2. And God began to bless her because God uses people to bless other people. And we have this, this rule of sowing and reaping going on in the life of Ruth in chapter 2. The Bible says, whatsoever a man sows, that shall they also what? Reap, right? And so she was showing kindness and sowing goodness and sowing love and, and uh, she went out to work. And if you'll look with me in chapter 2, verse number 3, there's something else there that you should underline. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. She just so happened. Some people would have called it an accident. Others would have, people would have called it good fortune. Uh, we call it a divine appointment. She just went out to work, and it just so happened that she ended up in the right field. There was this rich man who owned the field. His name was Boaz. God set this up. You know, when God sets up things, we call it a divine appointment. God places people and situations in order. Uh, and this is what happened here. Remember Zacchaeus as he climbed the sycamore tree to see Jesus? It just so happened that Jesus looked up and called him by name and told him to come down. Remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4? It just so happened that she came at the right time of the day to talk to Jesus, to have a private appointment with him. And remember Nicodemus. He came at night, another right on time divine appointment. And so Boaz, early in our study of Ruth, is seen to be a type of Christ. And so if you know that going in, it, it's nice to read the whole book of Ruth and put a little C beside each instance that you, that Boaz's life resembles the life of Christ, a little C. And you'll be amazed at how many little C's that you have as you go through the book of Ruth. Now, he is a type of Christ. He's kind to his workers. Uh, look with me to chapter 2, verse 4. He goes, up, he goes to his workers one day, and this is his greeting to them, the Lord be with you. Now, in our world today, if a boss said that to his workers, he'd be in court. 
You know, I mean, they'd be messing with, messing with people's religion. And his workers reciprocated and said, the Lord bless you. Now, that would be a, probably a pretty good working environment, wouldn't it? Uh, the Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. That was their greeting. He was kind to his workers. Uh, a little C. Uh, Bethlehem. The Bible says he was from Bethlehem. Now, that's a dead giveaway, isn't it? He is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you keep that in your mind, the book of Ruth just comes alive for you. Uh, you know, Ruth was taken back when he came to her and he recognized her and he noticed her. And she didn't really understand why he knew all these things about her. But again, it was a picture of a Christ. Because Christ is God and he is omniscient and he knows all things. He knows what goes on in people's hearts. Now that's a little scary, isn't it? When we think of it. But remember in John chapter 1, he met Nathaniel and Nathaniel was taken back and he says, listen, I know you, Nathaniel. And so Boaz knew her background and she was, she was uh, taken back by this. Boaz was a stranger to her, but she was no stranger to him. And this is, this is how it works in our world today. People all around us, the Lord is a stranger to them, but, but they are not strangers to the Lord. The Lord knows them. Uh, now we've come to chapter 3. Chapter 3, Ruth is resting. What is she resting in? She's resting in the knowledge that God is working everything out for her. Because, you know, when you follow the Lord's plan, the Bible says the steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord. And so that means if you put like one step down and you say, Lord, help me make the next step, you know what he does? He delights to do that. He'll help you to make the next step. And when we pray about each step, he leads us. The, the psalmist says he leads us in paths of what? Righteousness. That means that God never leads you in the wrong direction. Boy, why wouldn't anybody want to sign on to that? Amen. Why wouldn't anybody want to sign on to that? The Lord never leads. When a person comes to a fork in the road and they say, Lord, which way should I go? The Lord will send you in the right direction. And when you go in the right direction, you get the right result. Now, Boaz, the Bible says in chapter 3, is a relative. That's verse 2. He's a relative. And back in that culture, the extended family really meant much more than it means today because they didn't have all the support networks that we have in our world in America today. You know, when you fall on hard times, you go here and you get that. And if somebody here will help you, they didn't have that. They had to, like, support each other. And so the relative network was important. And so Boaz was going to play out Deuteronomy 25, verse 5 and 6. It goes like this. If brothers dwell together, one of them dies and has no son. The widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Had to marry in the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as a wife, perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son, which she bears, will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out from Israel. And this is the case. This is what Naomi is trying to set up here. 
Naomi says, listen, God's law says that when a man dies, that his brother is supposed to raise up a child to perpetuate his name. And so these relatives had a lot of responsibility on them. They just couldn't, they just couldn't live their life to themselves like we can in our society today. They were responsible for persons uh, in the family. Remember reading the Old Testament when if there was a murder that took place among the family. The Bible says there's what is known as the avenger of blood. Have you read about that in the Bible? Numbers 35. That means a member of the family, if somebody took the life of, of somebody in the family, a member in the family would go out and settle the score. It was responsible to take care of business as far as watching over the persons. Not only was a relative responsible to do that, but he was also responsible for property as well. Sometimes people would fall in hard times, they would have to sell their property. And so the uh, relatives would go out and buy it back again. I'll, I'll bail you out. But this particular story is more about posterity, carrying on the family name, uh, carrying the family name by marrying the childless widow. So, uh, Naomi uh, sends Ruth on this mission. I'm going to get you married. I'm going to take care of you uh, because you need rest and security. Look back at verse number one a minute. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you? You see that word there? It's the very same word that is translated rest in chapter 1, verse 9. And so, therefore, the home should be a place of rest and security. That's one of the definitions of the home. Uh, you know, a home can be uh, a little bit of heaven on earth or a little bit of what on earth? Don't say it. It can be either or, depending on how we relate to each other and how we live by the precepts of God in the Bible, how he's designed marriage to be. But for sure, it's the place to be for security. The father and the mother to take special care of the children. I tell parents all the time, now never let your kids out of your sight. You know, get a, whatever you have to do, don't ever let them out of your sight. And parents are pretty good about that today because they understand uh, the precariousness of our society. Uh, we're watching out for our kids. We want, to, we want to guard their innocence, don't we? As long as we can, and it's hard to do. Uh, but we want the home to be a place of rest. And what that means is emotional rest and spiritual rest. Not a war zone. Uh, a place where somebody can come and just have some peace of mind. And a place of spiritual rest. Uh, you know, it's great to have a home that mother and dad know for sure that they're saved. And uh, their children, one by one, come to Christ. And you can lay your head down on the pillow and know, listen, listen, I gave my kid a college education, but I gave them more than that. I gave them a key to eternity the person of Jesus Christ. And that's something that will reap dividends uh, for the rest of our lives. 
So Boaz was this relative, and he had this responsibility to persons, to property, to posterity. And so now we come in our study uh, to uh, chapter 3, and uh, Naomi and Ruth is going to propose. This is a proposal. Look at verse 9. And he said, Who are you? So she answered, she said, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. That's her proposal. She's proposing marriage right here. Marriage is the glue that holds organized society together. The Bible begins with marriage in Genesis chapter 2 and ends with marriage in Genesis 22. Do you know, even though man has fallen in the Garden of Eden, marriage has never fallen? It's that part of man's original designed by God to bless and bring happiness in every generation. One man committed to one woman and under the living according to God's plan given to us in the Bible. At this particular time, though, marriages were arranged, and that's what Naomi was doing. She was making sure that Ruth was taken care of. She was a matchmaker. How many of you have ever tried to be a matchmaker? Don't raise your hand. You know, you have somebody in your family that needs to meet somebody nice, and then you meet somebody nice. I remember I was checking out at some place, and I came home one day, and I told Joanne, I said, honey, I met this nice girl checking out. We just, who could we? And I was, and she was looking at me like I didn't know what I was doing. You know, we do that, don't we? We, uh, we say, boy, this person could go nice with this person, and that person would go nice with this person. Let's just kind of see how we can. Usually it doesn't work, but we try it anyway, don't we? And so that's what Naomi's doing. She has a plan uh, to fix up Ruth with Boaz. Uh, and uh, here's the plan, in beginning in verse number 3. Look at it. First of all, wash yourself. This works good in every generation. She tells Ruth, listen, uh, number one, you know, the old statement. Remember your mother used to say, <laughs> say cleanliness is next to what? Boy, I haven't heard that in a long time. My old-time memory is really kicking in lately, I'll tell you. Cleanliness, she says, listen, if you're going to get the first base, you better get a bath. <laughs> That's number one, take a bath. That's what she says right here. And then anoint yourself. You got to, on addition to that, you know, anoint yourself and put on your best garments. I guess the ladies would say glam up, you know, do the best you can with what you have to work with. And so she... I, I didn't mean that. Okay? Yeah. And so, uh, and so uh, it's been suggested, that, suggested at this particular time that Ruth was finally removing her widow's garments. Remember, she was a widow, ending her mourning. And so it now was time for her to go out and find a husband. Now, note, Boaz was at work, and I'll tell you what, that's a mark of a good husband, you know that? I was counseling a lady this, this week in counseling, and I said, listen, she was telling me all the things that her husband wasn't doing right. And, and, and I said, listen, a lot of women would just love to have a husband that was noted for going to work. Getting up, getting out, working hard, bringing home the check. And she says, well, my husband does do that. 
I'll give him that. Um, and that's what Boaz, Boaz was working hard at the threshing floor. And uh, what was he doing? He was separating the wheat from the chaff. Matthew 3.12 is a verse that relates to this. And let's, uh, let's, let's read this together this morning, okay? He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. This is the work of Christ. The work of Christ is to determine the real from the false, and uh, that's what he's doing in every generation. So again, we put a little C. This is Boaz. This is his work. He is separating the wheat from the chaff, the real from the thing that is unneeded, separating the grain from the stalks, first of all. Then he's crushing the grain and throwing it up into the air. And the air, the wind would come and blow away the lighter part, which was the chaff. He was doing it at night because the wind would be higher at night. And then after a hard day and night's work, because when you have a business... Oftentimes, you work day and night, don't you? You sure do. Uh, and, and, and so what he did, after he put in a hard day's work, he laid down and he was sleeping to protect his property. He was sleeping by the threshing floor. People who have businesses have to protect their property, don't they? They have night watchmen. We have a fellow in our church. He puts in alarm systems. Everybody has an alarm system today. It drives the cops crazy. Uh, of the fire departments, but you have to protect your property, and that's what he was doing. He was sleeping by his property. This was an agricultural society. And so the Bible says in 1 Samuel 23, 1, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah. They are robbing the threshing floors. If it's not nailed down, somebody's taking it. And so she comes in, as we read, and she laid down at his feet. Uh, this is an act of submission. This, too, is a reference to Boaz being a type of Christ, but because only at the feet of Christ can we find rest. Only when we come and kneel down in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ can we have peace in our heart. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30 is a tremendous uh, passage of Scripture. Let's read it together. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Lord said to the religious people at this time, listen, I know you're burdened down with all your religion. Just abandon that and come to me. Take my yoke. Learn from me. And when you do that, you'll find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, the devil has promoted the idea if you, don't, if you serve him, the devil that is, or the world, that you're going to have a great time. That doesn't work well. That's a prescription for disaster. When we link up with Christ, look what it says. My yoke is easy and my burden is what? 
Yes, it is a, somewhat of a burden to be a Christian, but it's light, comparatively speaking. Uh, because there are many people following the ways of the world, and I'll tell you what, it just keeps getting uglier and uglier and uglier, and the weight gets heavier and heavier and heavier, and Jesus says, listen, come to me and let me take the burden off of you. Follow me. My ways are the best ways. Because when you do the right thing, you get the right result. And so... Uh, she comes and she lays herself down at the feet of Boaz. And uh, she was claiming here in this verse the right. She expected him to marry her, to perform the duty as a family redeemer. Uh, remember I said that when she laid down at his feet, that was an act of submission. submission. Boaz was the type of a man no woman would have a problem submitting to. No woman would have a problem. Because this is the reason I say that. He was kind. He was considerate. He was generous. He was protective. And on and on and on it goes. And I'll tell you what, that's what women want. And that's what women need. Can I have an amen from the ladies? Amen. Yes. And so she says, uh, I, I don't have a problem, Boaz, submitting myself to you, and I want you to put me under your wing. That's a figure of speech, of course, and it symbolizes the protection that she was looking from, from him. And today I understand in a Jewish wedding that the groom places his prayer shawl over the bride's head to symbolize that he's taking her under his care and protection. Many years ago, we used to sing the song in the church, Under His Wings, I Am Safely Abiding. I love that song to this day. Though the night deepens and the tempests are wild, still I can trust Him. I know He will keep me. He has redeemed me, and I am His child. Under His wings, under His wings, who for His love can sever. Under His wings, my soul shall abide, safely abide forever. Now, you and I, those of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior, have come under the protection of our Lord, under His wings. We are safely abiding. It's a safe place to be under the wing of the Lord. Amen? Now, Boaz is attracted to Ruth, by the way, if you read the whole story. Remember when she came on the scene, he asked his workers, who's that? Who is that over there? Well, the overriding attraction, though, was respect for her. He was attracted to her because of her character, because she was noted in the community as a virtuous woman. He said, listen, you didn't go after younger men. You didn't look on the outward appearance. She knew what she wanted, and he knew what he wanted. You know, and I think that's the way it needs to be, you know that? We need to set our standards high. Uh, who shall we have as our life mate? He said, listen, I want a virtuous woman. That's my goal. He was attracted to her because she was a virtuous woman, a mutual attraction based on character. Uh, you may want to write there in the margin of your Bibles, Proverbs 34, 31, 10. Who can find a virtuous and capable woman? She is worth more than precious rubies. 
I was looking on the internet the other day and this caught my attention. Somebody said this, a perfect face will always grow old. A nice body will change with age. A good woman will always be a good woman. That should be our standard. It really should. You know, I was blessed in my life with a good woman, my wife, Joanne. I know that she was praying that she would find a good guy, and God partially answered her prayer. <laughs> but when I met Joanne, she had a Bible in her hand, and when she met me, I had a Bible in my hand. And that's been 51 years ago. And every morning almost of my life, when I come downstairs in the morning, she has a Bible in her hand. She reads the Bible every, every year through. And so do I. And I still have mine in my hand too. And now we don't look like the pictures that we took when we were first married. Although she's a lot more preserved than I am. But I'll tell you what, uh, she's a good woman, and uh, God answered my prayer. That was my standard. Now, I know that everybody can't have a situation like that. Sometimes things don't start out in a relationship like that. But, you know, as, as long as there's life, there's hope, and as long as uh, we live, we can change. You know that? We can change. A man who is miserable can change into a person that acts like Boaz. And a woman who is miserable can turn into a person of virtue and character also because it's the Lord Jesus Christ that changes us. Amen? He is the change artist. He's the person. That, we used to have a fellow in the church, and he used to come in almost every week, and he'd say, pray for my daughter. She needs to change. And he almost wore us out with his prayer request. Pray for my daughter. He need, she needs a change. And I remember one day he came in and it was, looked like a big burden was lifted off of him. And he said, you know, I was praying the other day and God showed me that I need to change. I need to change. You know, you can't change anybody else. If you tried to, it doesn't work. But I'll tell you what, Christ can change you if you'll let him. And he can change you into the person that uh, he wants you to be. And so here's Boaz, and I know he really wants to marry Ruth because she's such a person of virtue and character. But he wants to go by the book. Now, this is interesting. You, you may not have never heard of this before. He wants to go by the book. And uh, the custom at the particular time was there was somebody... Uh, in line closer than him to take advantage, to rescue Ruth and to marry her. And so he could have circumvented that and he could have said, hey, this is really, let's go, we'll get married tomorrow if you want to. But he said, listen, there's somebody closer and so we have to clear this with that person see if he'll take advantage of this first. And the moral of that is this, is even though they were two good people, finding their way to each other. He said, listen, we have to go by the book. 
We're not going to cut corners. We're not going to circumvent it for our own, uh, for our own pleasure. And so uh, Ruth goes home after that whole thing. She proposes, and he says, he said, yes, but I got to check something out. So she goes home and tells Naomi she has all this stuff, the provision that he's given to her. And she goes home, and she knows she's going to get married, but she don't know exactly to whom yet. It's either one of these two people. <laughs> that's, that's strange, isn't it? Uh, but she's walking in the will of the Lord, and she comes and she has all these provisions that she gives Naomi. Listen, if you walk with God, God will always provide your way. He'll always pay for you if you're not extravagant and if you go by the book. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll take care of the rest. I'll give you what you need. And so here we find, you know, when I think back of my life and you think back of your life when you accepted Christ as your Savior, you didn't know what God had in store for you, but now he's given you a whole lot more than you ever knew you would get, right, from him. Because when you put your feet under God's table, you're his child, and he knows how to take care of his children. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Uh, you know, Ruth is a picture of uh, somebody living in a faraway land. And uh, with little or no hope or knowledge of God. And Naomi actually led Ruth to God. God used Naomi to bring Ruth out of Moab to find Boaz. And so that's the way God does it today. You know, God, uh, God uses people in other people's lives to bring them to Christ. God will set up a divine appointment. You'll meet somebody and they'll say, hey, listen, let me tell you about Jesus. There's rest at his feet. If you submit yourself to him, he'll give you rest for your soul and the burden will get a lot lighter than it is in your life right now because you're trying to live your life by yourself, and God wants to help you live your life. And so if you're here today like Ruth, uh, I just want you to apply this to your life. Come to Christ, not the church. The church can't save anybody. Your good works can't save you. It's only Christ, faith in him and him alone, submission to him and his will for your life. If you come to him, there's rest at his feet, humbly. And just say, Lord, save me. God, forgive me. Come into my heart. I want to work in your vineyard. I want you as my Savior. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for uh, the lessons that are learned, even in the Old Testament about coming to you and finding rest there at your feet. I pray that you'll uh, drive these lessons into our heart today and help us, every person, to apply the one they need the, the most today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song this morning. And as we sing, if you'd like to come and pray here at the altar, if you'd like to come and lay a burden down, just feel free to do that as we sing. 
August, and that can mean one thing. Kids are going back to school. Woo, woo. Um, homes will be a lot quieter in a few weeks. But no, more importantly than that is uh, in two more weeks, it's in your courier, we're having our uh, church picnic, kind of the end of the summer hoorah shindig thing. And um, it's going to be from 3 to 7 at Peterswood Park. We have Shelter 4. Um, we're going to have hamburgers, hot dogs, snacks. We're asking anyone to bring you know, a side dish and a snack, bring a chair, bring a blanket, uh, food time, whatever you want to bring. Um, and then there's a schedule of events we're going to do. We're actually going to have... Uh, planned activities. We're going to do a men's softball game, old versus young. Uh, first service, I said the young will probably win, not because of skill, but because we'll probably pass out and quit. Um, if I'm in the old group, I'm not sure. And then we're going to have a bunch of kids games that are going to be playing, different things for different age groups. Uh, food will be at 4.30. Uh, family tug of war, cornhole, just different games. There's um, a bunch of other games we can play. And then at 6, we're going to have uh, women versus teens. And that'll be a fun game because 
they probably won't have any people passing out during the game, like the men. Um, but I want everyone to come. The last two months, we had, uh, last month we had a family movie night, um, fire and uh, s'mores, a good turnout. Even though the rain was threatening, we had like 75 people show up. Um, I didn't watch the movie, but I did ruin it. Uh, I never saw it, but I walked up five minutes into it and said, Jenny, is this the one where he dies at the end? So, but everyone watched anyway. Um, and then the previous month, we had uh, hot dogs and everything over in the gym. So those who have been coming, keep coming. You're our hardcore fans. If you're on the fence, jump on the good side. Come in and, come and go. And if you're not going to come, I will cry. And I get very sensitive about this. So... Yeah, anyway, so please come. It's a lot of good fun. Um, we'll have a good time. Everyone that does come, um, they leave full, obviously. Lots of eating. Uh, energized. They meet some new people. They have fun with people they know, and it's a really good time. And then um, other announcement is um, Mike Reynolds sent an email to a few of us, but starting tonight, uh, Ken Ham is speaking at the Doubletree Hotel in Green Tree. Yes, Doubletree in Green Tree um, at 7 o'clock. Uh, Ken Ham tonight, but it's going all week till Thursday. Um, during the day, they're doing like scientists presentation things, but in the evening, there's a new speaker each week, and it's free to go. And Craig wanted to plug in. It's um, the website is creationicc.org, not com.org. And yes, so everyone come, or I will be sad. And uh, yeah, and that's in two weeks. I'll make an announcement next week, and the courier will be there. And then the the day of on the 18th, there'll be one more um, announcement. And then um, yeah, I'll get Steve to take you guys out. So <laughs> no, I hope to see you guys there. Thanks. Thank you, Timmy. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. Sure. Well, I hope you've been encouraged today. Turn around and shake hands with as many people as you can in the church this morning. God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>